You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. You can take a seat. Well, good morning, Southcrest. Man, I'm so excited to be with you this morning. My name's Austin, uh, filling in for Brandon, and we're going to continue to journey through 1 John together uh, this morning. And really, before we do that, I know we just pray, but I think, I think it'd just be significant to take one more moment uh, to just ask the Lord to cover the rest of our time together this morning. So let's pray. Jesus, we, we do love you. We thank you for, for another Sunday. And God, I pray this wouldn't just be another Sunday that we walk in, we gather with believers, we sing some songs, we open your word, and we leave. But God, we'll be, be changed as David was just praying that, that God, this time here together would change us to live differently. And right now, just in your own heart, would you, would you take a moment to pray that over yourself, that maybe this time would be free of distraction, free of a to-do list of what's to come next, but you would just take a moment to pray that the Lord would cover this time and that he would speak to you. Jesus, we pray that would be true. As we seek to discover the truth of really two verses we're gonna look at this morning that, that books have been written on. God, would you speak to us? Would you, would you show us something about yourself this morning that maybe we, we haven't fully understood before. And God, would you help me not get in the way of that, of what you wanna do this morning? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I'd love to start with a story that will really give us some direction for where we're headed. Uh, when I was a sophomore or junior in high school, I can't remember exactly the, the time frame, uh, but I was in the cafeteria with, with some of my friends eating lunch and um, there was probably about three to 300 to 350 people in the cafeteria. I went to a large high school. Um, and so just one period, there, there's a ton of people in the cafeteria. And me being kind of a silly, dumb teenager, many of you have heard my testimony before. I went pretty wayward for a while of going against the Lord. I took my water bottle as I had just finished drinking it, right, wrapping up lunch. And as many of your probably children have done before, maybe you did, I took it like this, and hopefully I don't get fired for doing this, Pastor Jack. I took my water bottle and shot it. Almost got it, Sarah. Shot the water bottle, and as it did that, the bottle cap just kind of took off throughout the cafeteria, and me and my friends kind of watch it, and it just kind of disappears into the crowd of people. And about 30 seconds later, we're like going back to eat, a senior student walks up behind me with the bottle cap and says, hey, don't do that again. And then he proceeds to pour chocolate milk down my shirt, all over my pants. Yeah, you, you, can, imagine, you can imagine the scene, uh, that stupid decision. And so one thing you have to understand, uh, just a little note about me, really I had this kind of vibe going on through high school of really whether it was freezing outside or it was 100 degrees, I was gonna be wearing khaki shorts and a t-shirt. So you can imagine just the beautiful mixture of khaki shorts and chocolate milk. I mean, it was, 
It was wonderful, right? And so in this moment, I, I froze. Like I didn't get up and, and try to just, you know, hit this guy. Like I didn't get up and, and start a food fight in the middle of all this. Like I just froze. I, I couldn't do anything. I was almost kind of paralyzed in the moment. And what I didn't know is as this, everyone around me is laughing and as this senior student goes back to his seat, one of my friends that was sitting at another table, his name was Sean, he stood up and approached this guy and said, man, I know Austin made a mistake, but what you did by pouring the milk on him was not okay. Like that was way too far. And in that moment, he was just like, hey, that was a mistake, but Austin is a good guy. Like that was not okay for you to do that. And I share that story with you because I didn't know that was happening in that moment until weeks later. But in that moment, Sean stood up for me. When all of my friends, all of my guys at the lunch table, none of them got up and told this guy to back up. None of them told them that was too far gone. But a friend at another table said, I'm gonna stand in the gap for Austin. I'm going to defend him to say, that was not okay. Austin is a good guy. He did not deserve that. And he made such an impression on this other student that he came back the next day in front of everyone else in the cafeteria, in front of my friends, and apologized for what he had done. In that moment, Sean defended me. And as we continue in 1 John, we're gonna see what happens to us as believers when we sin before a holy God when we continue to go against him, when we continue to mess up, make the stupid decision, when we continue to give in to that sin that you said you never would. And really the pressing question of this text is, is there anyone to defend us? When we give in to sin, who stands in the gap for us? Who says, I'm with them despite their sin? And so if you have a copy of scripture, if you have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you if you wanna grab that. We're in 1 John, moving into chapter two, just verses one through two this morning. And I'm actually gonna go back just a few verses and start in verse nine. So if you're with me, chapter one of verse nine, he starts here, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we have said, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And this is where John begins to go into chapter two. He says, my little children. And so John addresses them with fatherly concern. And so he uses this phrase, my little children, seven times in the book of 1 John, but this is the first time he uses it. And so it shows us two things. It shows us that he deeply cares for these people, but also that what he's about to say is serious. What he's about to go into is important. So he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. So we'll see three things as we gather through this text, journey through it. The first thing we see is that we must strive to fight against sin. If you're taking notes, we see that we must 
strive to fight against sin. And so last week, Brandon took us through the end of chapter one of 1 John, really verses five through 10. And in those verses, John calls believers to walk in the light, to pursue walking in the light. But he says, you can't walk in the light if you have sin in your life. And so the way to to fully walk in the light is to continue to confess your sins, to bring those requests to God, the things that you struggle with, for you can fully walk in the light, you have to be continually confessing your sins to him. And John says, when we do that, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us of all of our sins. But here in chapter two, John kind of leans into kind of a a tension here. He says that even though what I have said is true, right, that, that you can confess your sins to God, that you should confess your sins to God, he also says that's not a reason for us to give up on holiness, that it's not a reason for us to continue to pursue after God. And so what he's saying here is he's not encouraging us, hey, sin as much as you can for you can go and confess more. But he's saying we need to be on guard of our sin. That there, there's a beautiful thing that we can confess our sins to God. We should thank God for that. But at the same time, we should be fighting against the sin in our life. And so sin is a big deal. God hates sin. John says in his first chapter that sin breaks our fellowship with God, that sin separates us from God. And so as we talk about what sin is, I think a great way to define it is that sin is missing the mark of glorifying God. You're missing the mark of glorifying him. 1 John 3, 4, we'll go through these verses in a couple weeks. It says, everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. So sin is refusing to follow God's law, follow his plan. It's thinking that you have a better way. You have a better option. And church, I think if if I'm honest, I don't think we take our sin as seriously as we should. I think because the reason we do that is because the world is so dark, right? Like all we have to do is turn on the news. We see all of the evil, all of the hate, out there and it almost works in a sense of our life of thinking our sin is not that big of a deal because the world is so dark and so broken. And and I wanna remind all of us this morning that that the little things that, that we struggle with every day, those little sins of gossip, of greed, of laziness, of lust, those little things that we deal with every single day are the very things that Christ died for, the very things that he gave his life for. And so there's a calling here that we cannot become numb to our sin. That We have to realize that sin is a big deal. And so John is saying here that the mark of the believer is that we're fighting against our sin. And so after we have accepted Christ, we're not willingly giving in to every sin in our life. We're fighting against it. This is what separates us from the world is how we fight against our sin. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to fight against it, not giving in to temptation. And so it's only because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we respond in this way. It's not out of legalism, right? It's not out of just devotion to a law, but it's out of love and thankfulness to God, right? Because of what he's done for me is changing the way that I live. 
It's changing who I am. And so John's desire is that we wouldn't sin. And like a father would never desire for their children to do anything to hurt themselves, this is John's desire for us. He's pleading with us, resist sin, fight against it. Why? Why why does John feel so strongly about this? Scholars believe at, at this time as he's writing this letter that this is getting close to the end of his life. And so we have really grandfather John, right? Older Christian who's walked through this life before. And so he knows as a believer that sin is going to take you farther than you want to go. It's going to keep you longer than you want to stay and it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. Sin is going to hurt you. And so he says, resist it with everything you can. And so if we're going to strive to fight against sin, what would that look like? What are a few ways that we could do that just practically every day? First thing is that we would rely on the Spirit. If we're gonna fight against sin, we have to rely on the Spirit. And so you have to understand, like, you don't white knuckle and fight as hard as you can just on your own against sin. That We can't do that. We'll fail every single time. Fighting against sin is only a work of the Spirit in our life. That's why in Ephesians, Paul says, put on the full armor of God, that you go to war with your sin, but with the Spirit activated in your life. So we rely on the Spirit, and then we live in community. And so whether that's in your life group or small group that you'll go to after this service, or whether that's with a group of other believers, that you should have people in your life that you can confess your struggles to, but also people in your life that are gonna keep you accountable, that are checking on you weekly of, hey, how are you doing with this? How are you doing with that? And if you don't have that in your life, it is incredibly hard to fight sin. If you don't have a group of people that are checking in on you, keeping you accountable, and that you can share the most difficult parts of your life, and they don't share that with anybody else. They say, I got you. We're gonna be with this together. Rely on the Spirit. We live in community, and you seek to remove temptation or flee from temptation. So these kind of these old phrases that you don't play with fire, right? You run from it. You don't go shopping when you're hungry, right? When we were, uh, my wife and I, we were in uh, kind of premarital counseling they told us like, hey, when you get married and it's like midnight, one in the morning, you've had like the longest day ever, but you have that like really important thing to talk about, just wait till the next day, right? Because if you start that discussion late at night, you're most likely gonna get in an argument just because you're exhausted, right? You seek to remove temptation. And finally, we pray. Just a few things of how we can fight off sin. We plead with the Lord in prayer that we go to him as our help. Like, God, I need you. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. God, I can't do this on my own. Would you help me? We rely on the spirit. We live in community. We remove temptation and we seek to spend time in prayer. But here's the truth. As much as we try to do these things and other areas of scripture that would say how we could fight off sin, the reality for us is we're sinful beings we're still going to sin. As hard as we might try, as much as we might pray, sin is a reality for all of us. And so here's what's beautiful about where John goes next. This is so wonderful for us to see. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 
But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And I love how the NIV translates this verse. It says, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus, the righteous one. Second thing we see from this text is that when you sin, we can find comfort in the advocate. We can find the comfort in the advocate when sin comes into our life. And so John says here, if anyone, right, he's no, he knows that all of us are going to sin. He knows that sin is a reality for all of us. So he says, if anyone sins, we have an answer. And he says, we don't have to give up on walking in the light, but instead we have an advocate. And we need to thank God for this. We need to thank God that we have an advocate because otherwise our sin would destroy us. Our sin would overwhelm us so much into a point that it would destroy us. And so an advocate is someone who pleads on behalf of another. They speak in defense of them. They say, I'm standing with him or I'm standing with her. And so in 1998, there was a, attorney, a defense attorney for chemical companies and he got a call from a farmer in West Virginia who said his, his cows were mysteriously dying. Just hundreds of them at a time were dying and really had no idea why this was happening. This farmer had contacted everyone really in his town that he thought might be able to help him. And everyone like really pushed back, like would not, did not seem interested, did not want to help him at all. And so this defense attorney, I guess, kind of had a family connection with this farmer. So he even though he works really to defend chemical companies and not farmers, right? He says, hey, I'll help you. And to keep a really long story short, and after years of working together, this farmer and this defense attorney discovered that one of the largest companies in the United States at the time, a chemical company, was pouring toxic waste into the local water supply, poisoning 70,000 people and their animals, and so this, why, this is why all of this man's cows were dying because they were drinking toxic water. And so this defense attorney goes from defending chemical companies to going against one of the largest ones. And they end up winning this huge settlement. But the truth is here is that this defense attorney was an advocate for a lowly farmer and for an entire community. Some of the people in the community had no idea of what they were drinking was going to hinder them was going to affect them years later. This defense attorney risked his life, risked his job, his livelihood, all of those things to stand in the gap for them. To say, I'm going to risk this because I think this is important. I'm going to stand with them. And in a much, much greater way, Jesus stands for us. He's our defense attorney standing in the gap for us. And here's why this truth is so important. If God is righteous and holy, and God's law calls us guilty on all accounts, right? Because we are sinners, and we've sinned against a holy God and gone against him, 
means we all deserve hell, right? We, we know this truth of, of being in the church for a time. And so since we are sinful and unrighteous, we need someone righteous to help us. We need a righteous person. And so our sins must be atoned for so that the just punishment due us, the sinner, can be averted. And so Jesus stands in the gap for us. He stands as our defense attorney. And basically a conversation takes place between Jesus and the Father that he would plead on all of our behalf and he would say, God, I know Austin, I know they have sinned against you. They have gone against your holy law, which means they're deserving of hell. But God, my atoning sacrifice, my payment for them covers it all. And so essentially what Jesus does is he takes the evidence to judge the judge God and presents the cross. He presents the crown of thorns. He presents the blood that was shed. He presents the body that was broken and God is pleased with this evidence. And so when someone trusts in Jesus for their forgiveness and sins, they receive his salvation. They receive the righteousness of Jesus that he begins to plead on their behalf. And so because of what Jesus has done on the cross, his payment for us, he advocates that on our behalf, allowing us to not be seen as guilty anymore. And so for those of us that have trusted in Christ, there's no other payment needed because it says he's our atoning sacrifice. He has covered it all. And this is why John Piper says that there's no more wonderful news in all of the world that Christ has endured the wrath of God in our place so that our sins are no longer counted against us. And this beautiful truth this morning that Jesus is our advocate. This isn't something we think about a lot. Like I was listening to a song last night that it talks about the thousand names that we would sing towards God. We don't normally sing that you're our advocate, right? We don't, we don't talk about this truth, but it's so important that we understand it, that it should grow our love for him, that Jesus is standing in the courtroom in our defense, pleading on our behalf every time we sin, every time we fall. And so we're hopeless without our advocate. And so this truth should bring us confidence. It should bring us comfort, joy, peace, because we have an advocate pleading on our behalf. And so for those of you that are following Christ, whether it's small or big, whether the sin you give into, we can find comfort that we don't have to live in shame or regret for what we've done, but that Jesus, our advocate, has already paid for our sins. And this is good news. This is the gospel message, that we have an advocate that is real as your sin is. The forgiveness of Jesus is bigger. It's greater. And so the final thing that we see from this text, see it at the end of verse 2 says that he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Third and final thing that we see is that we should share the hope of the advocate with those around us. Share the hope 
of the advocate around you. And so Christ is an advocate for anyone, for the whole world. He is the atoning sacrifice who covers our sins. This doesn't mean that all will be saved, but it means that everyone can be saved. Everyone can have Christ as their advocate standing in the gap for them if they so choose him. And so this is so important, so important to grasp that he is our atoning sacrifice. He's paid for your sins, whether you've trusted in him or not. He paid for you. But Christ's advocacy is only limited to believers. He only advocates for those that have trusted in him, those that are seeking after him. And so that means, if that truth is true, that means there's many he's not currently advocating for. And so we know that the world is dark. You turn on your phone, get on social media, get on the news. We know there's many that have not accepted Christ. We know this because of all of the pain and suffering. And so there's many in our earth that have not experienced Christ as their advocate. And which means there's no one to stand for them. That their sins are gonna lead to the punishment of eternal death. Right? That they're destined to hell unless something would change for them. And so let me share a story that I think may help explain this. So in 2019, uh, in Thailand, uh, there was a boys' soccer team. They uh, played in a tournament throughout the day, and then at the end of the day, they decided they were going to go hiking in this cave. And so they begin to journey deeper and deeper into this cave, and without knowing it, at the surface, it begins to rain. And as they journey deeper and deeper into this cave, they, one of them begins to look back and realizes that it's flooding into this cave. And as they begin to kind of crawl out of the cave and get out of it, they realize that they're trapped, that it had rained so much at the surface, beginning to flood, that they were trapped inside of this cave. And the night goes by and they stay in the cave overnight. And a few more days pass by and it begins to get to a point that the water's not residing that reality was they were living dead. They were living, they were breathing, but most likely they were going to die inside of this cave unless something drastic changed, unless someone would intervene. And so this, there's many articles about it. The New York Times writes an article about this story that just to survive, these boys and their coach would lick the side of the walls of the cave just to find a little bit of nourishment. They were in this cave for multiple days. And so when it seemed like there was no hope, the story shifts. And so a couple thousand people from around the world gathered together to come up with a plan to try to get these boys and their coach out of this cave. And so they come up with this plan that they're gonna send in scuba divers just to try to first search for where they are and then eventually try to bring them one by one out. And so they send the first two divers in, they find the boys, and they come up with this plan that they're gonna take a rope from the starting point all the way to the end. And they're gonna take each boy one by one. So they come back out, get new tanks, they send the first group in. They get the first boy and bring him from the darkness into the marvelous light. 
They go back and get the next boy. And over and over and over, they get every single one and save these boys. And I share that story with you because from the surface, there was many that said there's no hope. Many as they gathered together to try to come up with a plan that said, this is a suicide mission for us. If we try to save these few boys, we're gonna lose a team of people that would try to risk their life for them. They didn't know where they were in the cave. They didn't know how far down. It was a risky mission. But there was a few that said, we're gonna stand for them. Even if it means our life, we're gonna go and get these boys out. If everything we can. And so church, that relates very well to us because there's many around us that are living in the darkness of their sin, that are separated from God, that are not experiencing Jesus. But we know the answer. We know the advocate, not only as our friend, but as our savior. And so the question for all of us is what are we gonna do about it? Are we going to stand in the gap for the other people around us, your coworker, your friend, your family member, and say, I'm going to share this news with them? Or are you gonna say it's not worth it? Oh, they've heard it before. They, they, they went to church years ago. They're, they're, they're never gonna trust in him. There are many around us every single day that have not experienced the advocate, that are living in the darkness of their sin. What are we gonna do about it? Are we gonna seek to share this good news? Are we gonna stay comfortable? And so in summary this morning, we see in these two verses from 1 John that we must seek to fight against our sin. That as believers, what separates us from the world is we don't willingly give in to our sin. But when we do sin, we can find comfort in the advocate our atoning sacrifice. And then finally, that we should be encouraged to share this truth, that we want everyone to experience the advocate defending their sins. And so as we close this morning and move into a time response, for the believers in the room, for all of us, I hope this truth brings us comfort. This idea that Christ as our advocate, that as big as our sin may be, as much regret and shame that we feel from it, that we can find comfort in him, that he is pleading on our behalf, that we would find comfort as we leave today in that truth. But also for the believer, it would be incredibly prideful and selfish of us to experience that truth, to experience Christ as our advocate to experience his forgiveness and not wanna share that with other people. It would be so selfish of us not to share this good news. And then for some of you, the truth may be that you're like those boys in the cave, that you're trapped in a cave of spiritual death, that you're living in the darkness of your sins. And this morning, you can move from darkness to light by trusting in him, clinging to the truth of Christ as your savior and as your advocate. This morning, as we pray, there'll be people here at the front that would love to talk to you about what that means to trust in him, to experience Christ as your advocate. 
Let me pray and we'll respond to the Lord. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are our advocate. That you died for us and that every time we sin, that you stand in defense of us. And the Father is pleased with the evidence that you show him. And God, I pray that for us that are following you, that that truth would bring us comfort today. That as we feel shame and regret from our sin, that we can seek comfort and life in our advocate. And God, I pray that you would compel in us this morning to share that truth with people around us, people that are living in the darkness of their sin that desperately need to hear that truth. And God, I pray if there's one here this morning that has not experienced light, they have not experienced you, that they would trust in you this morning. Jesus, we pray that to be true. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 